and that is that all in favor of us doing that song again at the end. Raise your hand. Say, let's do that again at the end. Amen. Amen. That's, that's, that's one of our Alamo City theme songs right there. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God that yesterday's gone. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, welcome in the name of Jesus to our Alamo City streaming time together. Bless you for those of you who are here in the house this morning, and we welcome all of you wherever you may be all over the place, and uh, God bless you. I, I just need to say, want to say thank you and bless you to so many of you who regularly, faithfully pray for us here and, and send your words of encouragement. We get them in various forms, but it just means so much, especially at this time in the, the life of our nation, the life of the church in the nation, that we, we're able to hear the amens from the people of God and, and um, keep preaching, preacher, and keep singing and worshiping, worship team. That just means so very much. And to those of you who have been able to um, support the work financially here at Alamo City, it, is, it makes it possible for us to do this um, on Sunday and throughout the week, the streaming broadcasts that go. And, and we just we could not do it if there was not the, the generous support, the, the loving, faithful support that so many of you are, in, are involved in. We, we say often around here, give the Lord something to bless. Give the Lord something to bless. Give the Lord something to bless. Where... There's an area in your life where you need the Lord's blessing. Give out of your need. Give out of your lack. Give out of the shortage. If you need folks to love you, then start sowing that seed of going out of your way to just love them and encourage them and bless them. It moves throughout the categories of our lives, and it is especially true in the financial part of our lives. If you want the Lord to keep blessing that area, if you need his favor upon your financial material ends of things, from the place of need, as well as from the place of abundance, from the place of need, give him something to bless. Give him something to bless. Now that may be you're helping us with the work here at Alamo City, but that may be right where in the church that you're a part of or close to where you live, a ministry. Give the Lord something to bless, and it's just amazing how he always proves himself faithful. We cannot outgive him. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I want to thank you for those of you who have been able to help, and you've done what you've done as the Lord has prompted you. And um, I heard from our... Um, the, the, the fellow who produces uh, really and takes care of all of these three-minute messages and so much of really all of the things that are done um, on our media, uh, Jerry Smith, dear brother, he and Lot have been with us for a lot of years, and he, um, he produces these little three-minute messages that are clips out of the bigger messages that sometimes he'll just feel impressed that we need to get that out. Well, the last one that we, we did, it's just been over the last... Very few weeks, uh, 530,000 Texans, he said. It was just Texans. Heard and were blessed by these little short three-minute messages on hope. 
And in a time when we need to feel the hope of the Lord rising up in us by the power of his spirit, it seemed to just be a timely word. It went out on millions of other devices, but we, we got, you know, were able to figure that there was well over half a million that actually watched that and, and were, were uh, interested enough to stay with it to the end. And we're praying that as a result of that, there are a lot of Texans who don't know Jesus will come to know him as Savior and Lord. And a lot of Christian Texans who need to be encouraged will find that encouragement by the work of the Spirit in their hearts. A bunch of you don't live in Texas, and, um, but the same work of the Lord here in this place, he's doing right where you are. We pray his encouragement, his refreshing in your spirit today. Now, I want to ask you to take your Bible this morning, and I, I, I want you to turn with me to uh, a chapter, a couple of chapters in the, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, that's going to be about in the middle of your Bible. It's one of the Old Testament prophets and um, well-known, highly respected during his day. And there is much in the life of the Lord Jesus himself that was a direct fulfillment of things that were prophesied about him through the Isaiah, through the book of Isaiah, who, who wrote several hundred years before Jesus was ever born. Now here, here's, here's where we're going to land today as the Lord gives us this, this time together. God's good surprises. God's good surprises. And then a little subtitle, where hope gets real. Where hope gets real. God's good surprises. Now, I want to show you um, one of the most amazing of all of God's good surprises that is referenced here. I want to read through Several of these verses. Look with me, Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. And this is in verse 24. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back and turning their knowledge into foolishness, but confirming the word of his servant and performing the purposes of his messengers. It is I who say of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, Be dried up, and I will make your rivers dry. It is I who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And the desires of Jerusalem he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Now, one of the interesting things about this passage is that at the time that, that Isaiah spoke these words, the temple was still in place in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not in ruins. The cities of Judah had not been destroyed. 
but he's speaking of a time when Jerusalem is going to need to be rebuilt, when the foundation stones of the temple are going to need to be reestablished, when Judah's cities and villages are going to need to be rebuilt. It hadn't happened yet. And then he calls by name somebody, some man, who is going to do the building and, and do the restoring of the temple. He calls the man by name Cyrus. This was written, this section was written about 150 years before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar's troops, the Babylonian army, would surround Jerusalem would breach its walls, would ransack the city, killing thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of Jewish people. The treasures of the temple would be plundered. And though many who survived the destruction of Jerusalem would be taken captive, would be made slaves of the Babylonian empire, and they would be taken back to Babylon, the capital of the empire. The treasures of the temple were taken back and used in Babylon, stored in Babylon. It was a horrible day for the nation of Israel. It happened because Israel as a people, as a nation, had turned away from the one true and living God had turned their back on the one who had brought them out of Egypt miraculously and given them a land, dispossessed other nations who were in the land and given it to the Jewish people. But because they had strayed so far away and turned away from the Lord, the Lord as a loving father knew that he had to discipline his children. He couldn't let them keep on going that way toward destruction and poisoning the environs around them and raising up children in that same kind of attitude toward God. And so what happened was the Lord just lifted his protection off of Israel. It wasn't that he specifically came up with a plan to assign Nebuchadnezzar to do what he did as much as because there were always enemies to Israel, to God's people. He just lifted his protection. And as he lifted that invisible barricade of protection, covering of protection, the enemies of the Lord's people came against them. And they were swept away. But even as that was going to happen, 150 years before it happened, God said, I have a plan, I have a man, and I will implement my plan in its time my way. Cyrus, Cyrus was the man's name. Historians refer to him as Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Great. Now, I want to read you a comment from one history professor commenting on this this man, Cyrus. If you're looking at the greatest personages in history 
who have affected the world. Cyrus the Great is one of the few who deserves that epithet, the one who deserves to be called the Great. The empire over which Cyrus ruled was the largest the ancient world had ever seen and may be to this day the largest empire ever. Now we hear of or have heard of Alexander the Great. We've, we've, we've heard of the pharaohs and Ramses II. We've heard of the names of, of, the, of, of the leaders of the Roman world, the, the, the emperors in that vein. But only in the scripture, it seems, for Bible students, have we really come across this name Cyrus. But when we read it, folks, I just don't think we get the magnitude of who this man was and what kind of role he played in the plan of God. Here is one of the surprises, the, the, the good surprises of God. It's this, he will shock us sometimes with the wrapper to bless us with the result. He has a way of shocking us with the wrapper. And I want you to follow along as I read some more about Cyrus in Isaiah 45, okay? Now follow, watch, these, watch these words. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Now that word means Messiah. The, the, the word Messiah means the anointed one. The Lord is calling Cyrus with the same name that the Messiah, Jesus, would be referenced. But we have absolutely no indication that Cyrus was Jewish, or that he was godly, or that he was peaceable, or that he was kind. The rapper that God uses can sometimes shock us, but it isn't the rapper, it's the result that is important to keep in mind. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. He's speaking of conquest, international conquest. I will go, I will go before you, the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor. Now look at this line. Though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you. I will arm you. I will strengthen you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, 
and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Now, I want you to see this again, folks. I want you to look at it, look at it one more time. Though you do not even know me, I will take you by the hand and lead you. Though you don't even know my name, I will use you to open doors. I will use you, and this was the biggest part of it all, I will use you to rescue my people Israel. And I will use you, Cyrus, to rebuild the city of the great king, Jerusalem. I will use you to reset the foundation stones and to restore the place where my presence dwells between the wings of the cherubim on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Folks, listen. Brothers and sisters of Jesus, in Jesus, sometimes we get our view of God so small that we don't recognize the things that he's doing because we're blown away by the rapper. And I'm not talking about the musical rapper. I'm talking about the W-R-A-P-P-E-R. We get so upset, bothered, offset by the rapper that we lose track of the purpose of God, the result of God with the man or the woman that he chooses. Now leave Isaiah and go to Jeremiah 29 if you would. Jeremiah 29. Now this is after Jerusalem has been destroyed. This is after the people have been carried away, many of them, and they're in Babylon. Jeremiah is the prophet now speaking, and this letter is written to the exiles, in exiles from Israel, and they're now in, in Babylon. So here's, the, here's how it starts, Jeremiah 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. Where? In Babylon. In Babylon. And do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. Their prophets were saying, we're not going to be here very long. God's going to rescue us. It won't be much longer. Hold on. We're going back home. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you 
to bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Seventy years, not just a few days. It wasn't going to be quickly over with. But how in the world was God going to do that? How was he going to throw off the yoke that had been placed upon his people by at that time the most powerful military and political force probably on the face of the earth, the Babylonian empire led by Nebuchadnezzar? How was he going to fulfill his word to his people? How would it be possible that they would be released and be free to go back and return to their land? Enter. Cyrus, enter the prophecy through Isaiah 150 years before that even called the name of the yet unborn deliverer. Not from the high priestly family, but from a pagan, unknown religious background family. God set his sights on, called the name of a man who hadn't even been born yet, but would rise to be the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth. The reason that the Babylonians would give up the Jewish exiles is because they were forced to by a military might more powerful than they. Only God, folks, only God could do something like that. His word will determine history. His word will determine history. Now leave Jeremiah for a moment and find your way, keep going to the left in your Old Testament to the last of the Old Testament history books. It's the 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 22. 2nd Chronicles 36, 22. Listen to this. Note these words carefully. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, we'll read that in just a moment. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. In 539 B.C., now remember the day they're counting down in the, in the B.C. We count up from the, in the A.D., but things, the, the numbers get shorter. 
That means that the, the closest period of time, the farthest time away would be 586. The closest would be 539. 539 was when Cyrus and the Medo-Persian armies entered Babylon, overthrew the Babylonian empire, and set themselves up in that place. Only the Lord could have known that that was the plan, that that would happen. But as we find here, the first, in the first year of, of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, we just read that. We just read Jeremiah 29. It will be 70 years. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, folks, I just need to say this to my brothers and sisters in Jesus. We, got, we draw this circle too tight in the sense that we think the only ones the Lord can stir the Spirit up of are Bible-carrying, praise-singing, tithe-giving people. He, he can stir up the Spirit of anybody when he chooses to do it. it, it it's the rapper that can shock us. It's the results that we need to focus on. You'd look at Cyrus and you'd think, a pagan warrior emperor whose background is unknown as to whether or not he even believed that there was a God or how many different gods? Couldn't God do better? God could have done anything he wanted to do, but that's who he chose. Folks, listen, listen. God does not deal in a democracy. He does not wait for our vote. He does not have to ask for our opinion. He does not have to do what satisfies us and pleases us and strokes us in the same way our fur is going. He's God all by himself. And he will do what is good and he will do what is right and he will do what is fair and he will do what is true in his time. And if he has to use a 24-carat pagan to accomplish his will so that the watching world will realize that could not have just happened. That had to have been God. He can do it that way. I suppose to be hope. I, I'm, I'm hollering like I'm mad. I'm not, I'm not hollering like I'm mad. I hope this is a holler full of hope that no matter who it is, no matter where they are, no matter how long they've been in power or whatever, God is able to stir up the spirit of anybody when he chooses to stir them up. You see that? You believe this book is true? You believe we can count on this book? I do. And this book says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom saying, look at verse 23. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord... The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. You think the Lord's run out of options? If you just imagine yourself living in Babylon. And you've just gotten the news. Jeremiah said, it's not going to be another few weeks before we get out of here. 
70 years we're going to be here. And the time passes, and you're there, and your children get older, and your children have children, and so forth. The sense could be, is it ever going to change? Are we ever going to get out of here? And then maybe you hear the rumbling that this Medo-Persian empire is coming against Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. And the thought could be, well, I don't see how that could help us. We'd be just another layer under the oppression on top of us. How could it ever be that God could come to us in the form of Cyrus the Great, not known for his manners, not known for his kindness, not known for anything other than brutality and the ability to conquer. It could have been somebody might have said, well, since it's not Isaiah coming, I ain't leaving. Since, since it's not a reincarnation of Moses, I'm staying right here in Babylon. You know, I'd rather... I'd rather push a Ford than drive a Chevy any day. If, it, if, it's not, if it's not the God in the form I expect, then it can't be God. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. He can shock us, shock us with the wrapper only to bless us with the result. Here comes this rapper. He doesn't dress Jewish. He doesn't speak Hebrew. He doesn't know really anything about anything. But you know what happened? He began to realize somehow, some way, God let him know that he had been picked out and chosen for the task. What was the task? The task wasn't primarily about anything important in that day and time to him, but his task was to fulfill something that was important to God. And that was to fulfill his word through Jeremiah that after 70 years, my people will go home. My people will return. And my people will rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. My people will rebuild the temple. I'll fill the temple with my spirit again. That was his purpose. That was his purpose. He, he would go on and he would live several years beyond that event, only to die in battle, it is reported, in some, some uh, part of the, the Balkans, fighting this, this ferocious group. He, he, why did he do that? He, he was a warrior. That's what he did. But here's also something very interesting about Cyrus. In the library of Thomas Jefferson, there were two copies of an ancient book called the Cyropedia. It was a book written by an Athenian man who was both a soldier, a warrior, and a writer named Xenophon. Within the confines of this book called the Cyropedia, which, which um, would, had, had the influence strangely enough, upon the writing even of our Declaration of Independence through Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson had two copies of this, one in Latin, one in Greek. 
because it seemed to speak to, as the example that Cyrus gave and how he implemented in his, in, in his empire, the ability for diverse groups having different cultures and different religious backgrounds can peacefully live together as long as they remain under a covering that allows them to be what they would be. Cyrus somehow had it in his heart that when he conquered an area, he wasn't supposed to demolish the customs of the people, that he was supposed to, it would be wise to understand that the religious affections of people were very important to them, and it would be better for him long-term to let that stay as it was instead of trying to obliterate all of it. Enter the Jewish people. He, 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 he steps into the, to the rulership over the Babylonian empire and replaces that attitude that the uniqueness should be crushed, that there, there should not be allowance for there to be individual differences within the cultures, although it was vaguely allowed by the Babylonians. Instead, instead the preferences of the people should be honored, should be recognized. That would be strength for the culture, the new culture that he was hoping to implement. So he allowed that to happen. Here's what, what Xenophon writes at one point about Cyrus. And these who were subject to him, he treated with esteem and regard as if they were his own children. While his sub, These are the ones that he conquered, the conquered peoples. He treated them as though they were his own children, the writer writes, while his subjects themselves respected Cyrus as their, quote, father. What other man but Cyrus, after having overturned an empire, ever died with the title of the father from the people whom he had brought under his power? For it is a plain fact that this is a name for one that bestows rather than one that takes away. Can you imagine that? God stirs up the spirit of Cyrus. He stirs up the spirit of Cyrus and puts those kinds of things in his heart. That instead of being known as the conqueror, to be known as someone who would be a father to those who were under his rule. Now that, that has general application. But at the heart of all of it was the heart of God to fulfill his word to Jeremiah for the people, 70 years, the captivity would end. And as a result, the people were allowed to come back home. I know I've said this several times this morning, but I need to say it again. One of God's good surprises is to shock us with the wrapper and to bless us with the results. Now, I want to say something very, very um, humbly, I trust, but honestly from my heart. I want to say something to those of you who voted Republican, to those of you who voted Democrat, to those of you who would position yourself as an independent in the election but probably made some choice as to who you voted for. We don't know who the next president for sure is going to be. 
It hasn't been finally decided. There could be some who voted Republican, and the scariest thing in the world would be a Joe Biden and a Kamala Harris in the positions of leadership over our country. There could be some who are listening this morning who voted for Biden and Harris, and the attitude can be the worst thing that could ever happen would be for Donald Trump to have another four years. You see, here's, the reason I'm saying that is because there are whole bunches of us in the body of Christ that think everybody who really knows Jesus voted just like we voted. It ain't so. It ain't so. So to the group, to the body of Christ, to the Christian Americans, regardless of which way you voted, here is a truth from your Bible, from the Word of God. God will sometimes shock us with the wrapper and in order to bless us with the result. To automatically say that person is to this, that person is to that, there's no way, no way the whole country's just going down the toilet regardless of who it is. Give me a break. Who in heaven or on earth are you trusting in, my, my brother, my sister? If you're trusting in the election, then expect to be dismayed and up and down. But if your trust is in the God of heaven who named Israel's rescuer 150 years before he was ever born, then you've got something to anchor your trust and your hoping. History is his story. His story. His story. His story. Now, there's some of you so mad at the other side who you didn't vote for. It could be that your prayers for whatever are hitting sheetrock or ceiling tile and bouncing right back into your chest. Because the Lord would say, don't expect me to forgive you if you're not forgiving those who offended you. That there needs to be an ongoing cleansing that we're at work in our hearts that we, we will, as the Lord's people, realize that where we are offended, where positions are taken that diametrically oppose that which we feel like is right and true, that there can be an offense to rise up. Those are the ones, especially the ones, specifically the ones that the Lord would cause us, call us to release back to him. Lord, forgive me for my unforgiveness. Forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for my fear. The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, church, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Can I get a witness? In everything, two weeks after the election, in everything, with the whole thing virtually being undecided and not final, standing right in the middle of it, our trust is on him as in him, and we'll give you thanks, Lord. We'll give you thanks, Lord. I give you thanks for what you're doing that I can't see, and I trust you for the outcome. Amen. Preach it. Preach it, preacher. He shocks us. Sometimes with a rapper. All right, now, you know, we, we may end up 
with the Biden team as the president, but we may also end up with President Trump for another four years. It hadn't been decided yet. We don't know what a President Biden would do because he's never been that before. But we do have a sense of what President Trump would do because he's been in that office for four years. I want to give to you what I believe are two important results of Donald Trump being in the position. He may not be in that position from now on, but I'm just telling you, the man has been beaten to death by all sorts of backgrounds. But I got to tell you, it just rises up in my spirit. Wait a minute. He may have done some things wrong. Way too many tweets. You know, picking fights with everybody, everything that moves almost, it doesn't agree. It can seem like on some days. But I want to give you two things that I believe from the heart of God are important things. Results. The rapper is one way, but results something else. I'm not saying that this is to project into the future. I'm just saying right now to notice what we notice. Number one, Israel. 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 Genesis 12. To Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Donald Trump has unabashedly, unashamedly positioned himself on the side of the nation, the state of Israel. He has done more in, in my lifetime as any other president to not just say we're supporting Israel, but when he made the choice, determination, to take the capital of Israel from Tel Aviv and establish it and recognize it in the city of the great king in Jerusalem itself. And then for there to be the developing relationships of other Arab nations with Israel to formalize a relationship. Iran freaks out over that. But it's exactly what the Lord's heart would be, that the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace being Jesus, would, would establish peace in that very broken part of the world. I'm just saying to you, he hadn't done a lot of things right. His rapper, we could wish, could be different. But when you settle it down, more than any other president in my lifetime, he has not just been talk. He has leaned in the direction and wouldn't quit and wouldn't shut up and wouldn't stop. Amen. All right, the other thing is this. I want to read this verse to you. This is Jeremiah 22.3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressed him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the, the ones who were living in the land of Israel, but they were not naturally born, native-born Jews. They moved there. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, to the fatherless and the widows, nor stand, nor, excuse me, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Nor shed innocent blood in this place. There is no more innocent blood than the blood of an unborn child. 
all the other things we may be doing right. But at the heart of God's heart is the defense of the innocent. The rising to the defense of the ones who can't take care of themselves, can't help themselves, can't raise a fist to defend themselves. And there again, Donald Trump has been the most vocal, active, consistent defender of the innocent unborn than any president I have ever known. Now what I'm saying by that is, the rapper can freak you out. But the result, as a lover of Jesus, but the result, as someone who believes this Bible is true, we ought to recognize and appreciate. The rapper can shock us, but the result is a blessing. There are babies who are alive today who, if they could speak, as they've grown up and they've not, been, they've not been brutalized and murdered and cut apart after birth even, would rise and say, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. There are folks walking the streets of Israel in the various cities and even in some of the Arab nations around there that would be able to say, because of this change, because of this position, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Okay, now folks, okay, so that, that's, that's the political spectrum. And I, and I, you know, just save your breath. Save your breath. Even though I'm going to take that pastor apart, you're wasting your time, dude. You're wasting your time. This is truth. What I believe I said, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't believe it was true. So if somebody's trying to say, what are you getting off into political things? This is not political. This is Bible. He raised up a man after his purpose. And we've seen a man, at least in part, in part, he may not be the president for the next four years. He may be, but he may not be. Then we deal with whoever is the president. And we will find in our hearts as God's people the commission upon us to lift up holy hands without any wrath and doubting and pray for those who are in authority over us. Not hate them, not speak against them, but pray for them, whoever it is. But don't let the rapper throw you. Don't let the rapper throw you. Republican, Democrat, Independent, don't let the rapper throw you. That's, that's just kind of a dad talking. I just, needed to, I just needed to say that this morning. So what if in this thing of the Lord picking out somebody who's not the kind of rapper that we would necessarily immediately say, oh, that's God. You know what the good news about that is? He could take somebody like you who don't carry yourself necessarily in the same rapper as what others may carry themselves in, but he could put his design and his plan and his purpose and his words in your heart and empower you and enable you to speak into settings and situations, into your family, into your work, into relationships that you may have, into settings that you may not know how far they go. But because God doesn't worry so much about the rapper as much as he is concerned about the result, he could even use you. 
and he could use me. Amen. That's such hope. That's such hope. That's such hope. One other thing I want to say. When God surprises us, he can surprise us with the wrapper in order to bless us with the result. But it's also true that he surprises when he can take your sorrow and turn it into joy. Another category of how he can surprise that he has the power with the ability to take whatever it is that has been making you sad, that has caused you to be heavy of heart, he has the power to take that very thing and turn it into something that is reason for you to rejoice rather than to stay depressed and sad. Now listen, to this is Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Jeremiah 31, 13. Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young man and the old together. They're going to be dancing together. The virgin, the young woman, the young man, the older man dancing together for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. I'm going to swap your sorrow for joy. I'm going to take off the heaviness of mourning. I'm going to put gladness in your heart. I want to show you something that's striking about the meaning of this. If you want to look at just real quickly, and this is the last place we'll stop. John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 20. Let me just read it. Jesus is speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's speaking of his coming crucifixion, his death. The world will rejoice, but you will weep. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. What he meant was that it would look like the result in an earthly sense for this Jesus of Nazareth was everything the opposing forces wanted. He's suffering because he's being rejected. He's being crucified because he's being put in the category of just a common capital criminal. The Jewish leaders, we can wash our hands. Pilate could wash. We, we're done with this. And those closest to Jesus would grieve beyond words because their hope had been in him. They saw his power. They knew what he could do. And now he's dying. And now he's dead. They put him in the tomb. Until. Until. Sunday morning. Until Sunday morning. Here's what he's saying. Your sorrow, meaning the very thing that has made you sorrowful, my physical death, that specific sorrow will be turned, and you're not going to come bring another joy. 
Am I going to bring in another source of happiness? No, no, no. Here's what I'm doing. That very thing that was so sorrowful for you, you watched that turn into joy. What happened on Easter Sunday morning? He came out of the grave, came out of the tomb. He appeared to, to Mary. He appeared to Peter and John. He appeared to the ones on the road to Damascus. That sorrow of that broken body now was alive. That sorrow had been turned into joy. Folks, listen. God is big enough to step into your worst nightmare and bring forth such a resolution that you would one day stand and say, that's my verse, pastor. That's my verse. He has turned my sorrow into joy, into joy, into joy. Just got to finish with this. There's some folks that have told the story, lived through your nightmare of bad choices, and, and things that said and done and, and perpetrated and, and all of those things. Sorrow, deep sorrow, such that at times you didn't even know if you could live another day. You thought about putting a pistol to your head. Then you met Jesus. Then the lover of your soul, the, the one who, who seeks and saves the lost, found you. Jesus, not religion, not a denomination, not being an American, not being married or single, but Jesus, Jesus found you. And he made his love for you known. And you felt his love. And you felt the hope of another chance, the hope of a fresh life, a new day rising up within you. And somewhere or another, you didn't understand all that was going on, but you embraced that Jesus and as a result, your sorrow has been turned to joy. You still live in the same body. You still got the same shoe size. You still graduated from the same high school. You still worked at the same place. You still got five, ten fingers and ten toes. Everything the same. But that which used to be so sorrowful and so shameful and so miserable, he has turned to joy. Joy. I've got a story to tell. I can tell you what it's like to be there, but let me tell you what it's like to be here, knowing him, sensing his presence, knowing his mercy, feeling his strength rising up in places in my heart where I didn't have any strength before, giving me a yes where all I had was a no, giving me a great big no where all I had was a great big yes. By the presence of Jesus alive in me. He has a way, folks. He has a way of turning our sorrow into joy. He did it for the Israelites, the captives in Babylon. He does it for us today. But then he beckons us, and he beckons us. Don't get messed up with the wrapper. You check the results. And, and I think one of that's one of those things that, that, that he has have just proven to us. You better trust me, not a person. You trust me and not the person because I am bigger than the person and my purpose will be accomplished and I'll use whoever I choose. I might even use you in ways that you could never.
Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart. Lord, I pray that you'll take these words where they need to go in our thinking, in our understanding, and in correcting or confirming some things that you're stirring in our hearts. And Lord, may it be that the joy of the Lord rises up as our strength hour by hour, day by day. And Lord, I pray that somebody, somebody who's listening, who's known sorrow, who's known shame, who's known shame, and you're saying to that one right now, I, I will turn your sorrow into joy. Open your heart up to me. Invite me into your life and watch me turn your sorrow into joy. Thank you, Lord, for the new creations that we are in Christ Jesus. The old things passed away. Come on, Lisa, y'all get ready to sing that song again. I'm introducing you. The old things passed away and new things have gone. Thank God yesterday's gone. But I'm alive in Christ and hope is in Lord, him. Lord, thank you, Father God, for turning our sorrows.